He told us to be wary of buying the car. Uh, Lisa and I were newly married, and we were about to make our first big purchase together, a used car. Actually, our, our first big purchase together was a couch. When you're young and newly married, buying a couch is a really big deal. So this was technically, I think, our second big purchase. It was a used car. And me, like knowing nothing about cars, I called a friend who was a car guy, and I asked for his input. And so he asked me about the history of the car. Like, what do you know about the history of the car? And I said, well, uh, it's a used car, and it, it used to be a rental car. And there was a, that's right, there was a pause. And uh, he said, well, you know what people do with rental cars, right? And me being the naive 22-year-old that I was, I was like, no, rent them? Like, I don't know what you're getting at. He said, well, people do with rental cars all the things they would never do with their own car. Which, of course, is true, right? Like, when you know it's not your car, you have no ownership over the thing, plus add in the fact that you're on vacation or a business trip, you might go off-road or get a little more reckless than you would typically do in your own car that you owe $30,000 on. He had a good point. He asked me this question. He said, do you want to own something that hundreds of people have had little sense of responsibility for? So we bought the car, and... Um, <laughs> By the grace of God, apparently, we had very few issues with it. But the reason I bring that up is because today we're continuing a series that we started last week called Warning Signs, where we're looking at the gift that God gives us in the warning signs along the road of life that trouble is coming in our personal or spiritual lives. Warning signs that if we don't heed them, we might find ourselves in difficult moments, to say the very least. And last week we started by talking about falling asleep at the wheel, that if you're drowsy and drifting through life, that that's a warning sign you need to heed. And it's time to wake up, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. And today, we're going to talk about a warning sign that might sound familiar to anyone who's ever had fun with a rental car. The warning sign is this. It's the urge, the impulse, the desire to be reckless. It's the urge, the itch, the impulse, the desire to maybe go off-road in life a little bit, so to speak, or to perhaps speak more, more clearly and theologically, it is this, this apathy or even an animosity that we feel at times towards biblical morality. This impulse we have to say, you know what, I know what God says is right, but I kind of want to try something else. That's the warning sign we're going to look at today. Now, in order to have this conversation, we have to, we have to begin here. Where we have to begin is this understanding that, that God has a road for each one of us to walk or to, or to drive down, so to speak. He has this, this will for humanity. And this will that God has for us uh, to live out and this road he wants us to walk according to is, is called in the scriptures his law. It's God's intention for his creation, in particular, those who belong to his family of faith. And much of this law, we, we already instinctively know. The Bible likes to say that a lot of it is inscribed already on our hearts from the moment that we're born. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that, that most of us don't have to be told are wrong, like taking somebody else's life or, or stealing somebody else's spouse or, or rooting for the cowboys. Like some things are just inherently wrong. Some of you are mad about that. It's okay. You live in Houston. Go Texans. Amen. Let's take an offering sermon over. 
There are some things that we just kind of know are wrong, and that's part of the road that we're supposed to walk, but then there are some things that we can't know apart from God revealing them to us, and that's where his scripture comes in. In his word, he reveals certain things to us in detail about what his will is for our lives. Think the Ten Commandments or Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a whole bunch of other things. And these things taken together, the things we instinctively know and the things that are divinely revealed, they come together to form what people of faith call the law, God's will for our lives. The right and good road, so to speak where we know that if we love these things that God has revealed and the things that he's told us, that we'll be walking toward him and with him. Now, the reason God gives us this road is not not just because he wants to be entertained by us trying to walk it. There's actually three reasons God gives us this this road to walk in life of of right and good things. The first is because when we walk this road, it gives him glory. Like when the thing that he's designed, which is us, lives and acts and walks and talks according to the design, it makes the designer look good, and he deserves to look good. So it brings glory to God when we love the road that he's put in front of us. It also brings blessing to other people. When we love God's law, the thing that he's revealed to us, it, it affords other people human dignity. It blesses them, it cares for them, it respects them, and that matters to God. But then, of course, it also helps us flourish. Now, I'm not making a promise that if you love the things of God and you try really, really hard to walk according to his road, that life will be perfect for you. But in general, if you follow the things that God has revealed, if you, if you try to follow his will and you discern his will and seek to follow after it and walk according to it, in general, life does tend to go a little bit better when you follow the design of the designer. So the reason God gives us this road is threefold. It brings him glory. It brings dignity to others, and it helps us to flourish in his family. That's why he gives it to us. Paul even hints at this in Ephesians 5 with one little phrase that's easy to overlook. If you look at verse 3, Paul says, impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. This is at the end of a long list of things he says that we should try to avoid. Impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, when he says saints, he's not talking Mother Teresa. He's talking everybody who's been covered in the forgiveness of Jesus, who has faith in Jesus Christ, who's a member of God's family. We're all saints, and there's a way that is proper, Paul says, for the people of God to drive, to walk, to live. There's a road. And by virtue of God's spirit living within you, there is a tendency in us to want to be near that road, to be on that road, or at the very least have a keen awareness of when we're about to veer off of it. Now, all that said, the reason we have to have this discussion, and the reason Paul has to put this in his book is because every so often in the lives of the ancient followers of Jesus and in the lives of the modern followers of Jesus, every so often this lie creeps in. And this lie takes on a ton of different forms. It sounds um, uh, a lot of different ways, but it ultimately boils down to this one thing. This lie comes in that says, maybe it doesn't matter if you veer off course. Maybe it doesn't matter all that much if you stay on this one particular road. Maybe it's okay to veer off course. 
Paul acknowledges this in his letter. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Sons of disobedience is not just a great name for a rock band. It's a phrase that Paul uses earlier in the book of Ephesians to describe those people, and there's, there's a group of people in Paul's day and age, and today too, who have just kind of given themselves over to the other road. Who've said, yeah, there's a path to follow with God, but, but we're doing our own thing over here. We've just given ourselves over to driving recklessly. And that's the warning sign we're talking about today. That impulse that you feel to just go to the other road and drive recklessly. And there's a lie that creeps in. And the lie says, maybe the road of God doesn't really matter all that much. Now, Paul recognizes that there are people who give themselves over to this, and he says, there's a lie that comes from them, and often it it doesn't even need them. It just stirs up within you. But don't buy that lie. Don't partner with those people. Don't buy into that thought that you can just go reckless and go on the other road without any impact upon your life. Don't partner with that idea. Now, now keep in mind that, that recklessness, just rejecting the things of God, never starts as recklessness, at least not in the mind of the person who's doing it. Very few people wake up in the morning and say, you know what I want to do today? I want to make some choices that make God man and ruin my well-being. That's what I want to do today. It doesn't start like that. That's why Paul uses the word deceived. Don't be deceived. It starts as a very alluring lie that comes from the outside or maybe just stirs from within in your own sinfulness. And it takes on a bunch of different shapes. I've jotted down some of the versions of this lie. See if any of these sound familiar to you. Maybe the other road isn't as bad as I've always been told. Or maybe God doesn't really care about all the choices that we make. Or maybe, maybe I'll have more control or, or be more of my own person on that road. Or maybe God and others have been holding out on me. There's, there's joy that I deserve on that road. But maybe there's relief from the pressure of responsibility on that road. And so you hear that line, whatever form it comes to you, and you buy into it, you partner with it, to use Paul's language, and you decide to text that coworker like crazy and off hours and spend a really insane amount of time with them, even at work. Or you decide that you should maybe rack up some debt on the side and not tell your spouse. Or you think it's okay to maybe do some day drinking in between meetings at work. Or you just scroll like crazy at night when everybody else in your house is asleep and you look at stuff that's just shameful? Or you dream about a way in which you can maybe rework the books or rearrange the receipts so that you could have a little extra cash, so you could maybe have a little more fun. It, it, it takes a lot of different forms, but, but it happens. Here's the real warning sign. Here's how you know that you are about ready to go off-road and reject the things of God. The real warning sign is this. You started to tell yourself so many lies or believe so many lies that stuff which you know defies biblical reason starts to make a lot of emotional sense. 
Stuff that defies biblical reason starts to make a lot of emotional sense. Stuff that you know by virtue of what's been revealed to you, what God has said is the right road, you know is wrong, starts to feel very right. That's the warning sign. That's the warning sign. That's it. Heed it. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, what if we don't? What if we just blow through that warning sign and we keep going? What if we choose to do the thing we, sh- we know we should not do? What if we choose to go on the road that we know is a rejection of the road that God has put in front of us as his people? What if we just keep going? What's actually at risk? And, and that's a really good and important question to ask. What is at risk if you decide to just go off script and go off God's road? Well, there's a couple of things. And I want to give you a warning that like, this, is, this is about to become a, a pretty straightforward and serious message. I'm going to do my best to try and balance it with some bad humor and levity, but i got to be straightforward with you. Uh, this is a relatively serious pastoral message. There are things that are at risk if you choose to just go reckless and reject the things you know that are right. The first thing that's at risk is your heart. What you risk is your heart growing cold toward the things of God. When I was growing up in the 80s in a cold climate, every car was covered in rust. Rust was a thing. You don't see it much in the South. You don't see it this day and age. But every car when I was growing up looked like this. And the thing about rust is that it starts as a spot, but it spreads. Rust likes to feast off of the good metal. And before you know it, your whole car is a rust bucket. At least that's the way it used to be. And sin works the same way. The logic that legitimizes one action quickly spreads to other actions. The the comfort that you feel with one risky behavior makes room for other risky behaviors. And so pretty soon, it's not just about one choice you've made or one action you've taken. It's about an attitude you now have to all the things of God. It spreads. I mean, this is why the scriptures go out of their way. And if you grew up like going to Sunday school or reading the Bible, you know what I'm about to say. Even Jesus says this, above all, guard your heart. Guard your heart, your attitude toward the things of God, your trust in the goodness of God. Guard your heart because sin corrodes and spreads. And pretty soon your whole attitude towards the things of God can be covered and corroded by the thinking that allowed for that one thing, that one choice you made. So the first thing that's at risk is your own heart towards the things of God. It's easily overtaken by the lies and the faulty logic of reckless driving, and it happens really, really fast. You say, well, I'm just going to make this one choice. I'm going to rationalize this one choice, and then before you know it, it's now rationalization that's spread to all these other things. It happens very quickly. The second thing that's at risk, and this is going to sound like really dire, but that's that's because it is. Let me just speak from my experience as a pastor who's walked with a bunch of people and as a fellow sinner myself. Like, let me just speak from experience. It is dire. The, The other thing that's at risk is not just your heart towards the things of God, but what's at risk is your home. 
And what I mean by home are the things and the people that you hold dear, that that matter the most to you. You see, one of the lies of the reckless road is that it happens in a vacuum, that it affects very few people other than yourself, and it probably barely will affect you. It's the same thinking that you have in the rental car, where you think, well, you know, my corporate card's paying for it. Hertz actually owns it, and I'll just return it at the end of the trip. What's it going to harm me? Well, the truth is that the things that happen in the dark will eventually get exposed to the light. That's, That's the way this world works. And when things get exposed to the light, people you care about see it, and it affects them. Now, if you think that's harsh, those aren't my words. They're Jesus' words. They're words that Jesus gave to disciples warning them about hypocrisy, which is a big part of what we're talking about. Like, you know the right thing, you profess the right thing, but you're like, I'm going to do the wrong thing. And listen to what Jesus says. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed and nothing hidden that will not be made known. And when recklessness gets exposed, rather than say confessed and offered up, when recklessness has to get exposed and the light shines on it, there is always collateral damage that you didn't consider when you were doing the thing. And the collateral damage is the people that you love and the ones that depend on you. So what's at risk is your heart for the things of God growing cold. What's at risk is your home, like the people and the things that you love when the choice that you've made eventually gets exposed. And the third thing is, and again, you're going to think I'm being like way too serious about this, but you just have to trust me that it is actually this serious. The third thing that's at risk is your hope. And what I mean by your hope is your your relationship with God. That's the third thing that's at risk. You know, once your heart becomes hard and and you are set on doing some dumb driving and you embrace things that you know go against God's will, what what is risked is your salvation itself. And now you might say, well, Matt, that sounds really, really hard. That sounds way too aggressive. Like, after all, aren't we saved by grace and not by works? I thought it wasn't about the things that we do. You're, You're absolutely right. We are not saved by the things that we do. We are saved purely by the grace, the kindness of God towards us through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That's it. But but we are free to run from that kindness. We're free to reject that faith and disregard it through our own arrogance. Look, at some point, if you willfully, continually reject God's path, it becomes a rejection of the person. If you know what's right, but you keep saying no to what's right, eventually, at some point that's determined by God, it's no longer saying no to the right thing, it's saying no to who? To him. On more than one occasion, I've had people come to my office for, for counsel, and really what they're looking for is like, a spiritual hall pass. They come to me under the guise of, like, I need some wisdom, but they actually know what they want to do. 
They know the, the off-road they want to take. They know the reckless decision they want to make. And what they're looking for is for me to sign off on their rationalization of it all and basically say, oh, it's all good. You could totally do that. And, and what I've, I've had to say on more than one occasion is when someone comes to me saying, well, this is the thing I feel called to do, led to do, that, that is against clearly the road that God has laid out. What I've had to look at them and say is, No. You are, you are a baptized, forgiven child of God. You know this is wrong. You know this is wrong. You know that this is outside of the road that he set apart for us. You know that this goes against the heart that he's given you and the word that he's spoken to you and taught to you. You know that this is wrong. Therefore, if you do this knowing that it is outside of the will of your Father in heaven, I need you to know that you are putting your very spiritual life your relationship with him at risk. You can't do this and say you love him. You can't. Be very careful. Now, is there grace and mercy for every prodigal? Is there a way home for every prodigal son who runs away? Absolutely. But first, you have to know that you are a son running from the Father. If you insist on your own road, God may just eventually say to you what Lindsey Buckingham said to Stevie Nicks. Some of you know the lyrics, you can go your own way. That's a Fleetwood Mac joke. You have to be over 40 to appreciate that. Again, just trying to add some levity into a very serious moment. So what's the antidote? Uh, what's the antidote to this urge and this impulse that we feel to just be reckless, reject the things of God, and go on a different road? Well, well, Paul actually points it out, again, in the text. The antidote to this reckless impulse that we have to reject the things of God and do our own thing is gratitude. The antidote is gratitude. Listen again to what Paul says this time in verse 4. Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, all of which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, he's not talking about turkeys and cranberries. When he says thanksgiving, he's talking about gratitude in your heart. Rather than expressing all this stuff that is off the road of God, let your heart, your mind, your, your actions, your words, let them be filled, let them be a reflection of this gratitude that you have. According to Paul, the antidote to the lure of recklessness is gratitude, specifically gratitude for grace, for how good you have it with God. And this gratitude for grace that keeps you on that right road, it is fueled by two things. It's fueled by a focus on the cross of Jesus and by a compassionate community of other people who love Jesus. When your eyes are on the cross of Jesus Christ, you see two things. You see the consequence of recklessness, and you see the depth of God's love. When you see the brutality, the horror of the cross, what you're seeing is the end of the road of recklessness. That's what you're seeing. That's how it ends. It ends in judgment. It ends in death. It ends in pain. When you reject the things of God, that's, that's ultimately what you get, is that what Jesus got. And yet, what we believe is that Jesus Christ went to the end of that road, felt it for us, conquered it for us, 
and then gives the victory to us and says, look, you don't have to go down that road. And even if you do, it's like all forgiven because I've already been there. And I've taken the punishment for it. Like I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, it's all over, you don't need to do that. I've done that for you. And then you see the love of Jesus in that he would do that for us. I mean, look at the cross of Jesus Christ and then tell me that it's worth it to flirt with destruction. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ and tell me that God isn't going to be good to you and tell me that he doesn't love you. Look at what he's done for you. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ and tell me you can't have gratitude. Likewise, a community of believers fuels and stirs that attitude of thanksgiving. Because when you're with a community of believers, they give you both a warning and a welcome. You get to share your stories together of how you've been tempted to, or in some cases, just gone off the right road. And and their stories serve as a warning to you, like, man, I better learn from Tim's lesson. But it's also a welcome because you see the grace that he's been given, or the fact that they welcome you, though they know what what you've done and the grace that you've had to receive from God for all your mistakes. You you feel seen and welcomed and wanted. You feel like an equal among other sinners who are covered in grace. You get both a warning and a welcome, and that stirs gratitude in you. Like if you're hearing this message and I'm saying to you, look, your heart is at risk, your home is at risk, your hope is at risk, don't do the thing you know you shouldn't do. Don't do it. If you're feeling convicted by that, look, I have just two things I ask for you to do. I'd ask for you to fold your hands and pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes to see the cross new so that you might see in the cross the end result of recklessness and the depth of God's love. And then when you say amen, you might open your hands and extend them out to some other people. Like reach out to another couple here at the church, go to lunch, go to dinner, get to know these people and share your life Talk about the temptations, the struggles, the victories, all of it, and get some encouragement and foster some gratitude. When someone has driven their life into a ditch of their own choosing, I guarantee you that they've been far from at least two things for a long time. Their eyes have been off the cross of Jesus Christ, and they've pulled themselves from a compassionate Christian community. Heed the warning. I want to close with this. I'm going I'm to talk to the person who's here this morning, and I know you're here, or who's watching with us online right now, who hears all of this, and their first thought is, well, too late. Wish I would have heard this a month ago or 10 years ago because I have already gone off this road multiple times and done a bunch of things or maybe one big thing that I shouldn't have done and uh, too late for me. Like you feel like your heart is already cold, your home is already a mess and your hope's probably gone. You're thinking, Matt, I'm I'm the used rental car that you were warned of. Nobody wants me. Well, what I'm going to say to you is going to sound trite, but, but I need you to actually hear it and know, know, that, know that it's true. 
Jesus wants you. Before you were born, he, he knew the life that you would live and all the choices that you would make and all the times you'd be off the road and all the terrible decisions. And he knew that about you. He knew that about me. In fact, we're, we're all the same. There are no new cars on this lot. There are no nice rides here. Not, not a one. We've all been on a trip. And, and knowing that full well about you and about me, knowing that about us, he still came here and he lived and he died and he rose and he did all of that. He did all of that as a way to forgive you, knowing exactly who you are right now. And he did all of that as a way of purchasing you and claiming you and making you his, knowing exactly who you are right now and all the poor decisions that you've made. He, he wants you. Now, should we heed the warning signs should we love God's law and seek to walk the right road? Of course we should, because it brings him glory. It brings blessing and dignity to others, and it helps us to flourish. Of course we should. But even if you have blown past every single warning sign you've ever seen, know this. There is always a sign in front of you that says you can go home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us enough to give us like a road to walk. That You, you, you put the law in our hearts and you, and you put it in your word. We thank you that you love us enough to warn us that, that there is consequence to rejecting it, that there is an impact that comes from rebellion but I thank you most of all that, that you tell us that even if we have rejected, even if we have been reckless, there is still grace and mercy for us. May the grace and mercy that's available draw those in a bad place back toward you. And may the grace and mercy that is ours keep those of us who are tempted on the right road. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.